Open our hearts, gracious one, to hear your word and open the lips of this servant of yours that the words which flow from them would be your words for your people on this your day. Bind to our hearts your truth. Banish from this place all that is not. Grant us ears to hear and courage to respond to the promptings of your spirit and may we leave this place transformed more into the image of the Christ we serve and in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. For a few moments this morning, I'd like for us to concentrate on the lesson from the Old Testament, the lesson that tells us of Moses and finds Moses asking two questions that are a part of our human experience. Every one of us asks these two questions in one form or another probably most of our lives. Those two questions are, who am I? Moses says, who am I, Lord, that I should be the one that you send to Pharaoh? And then he asks, and who are you? Who are you, God? Who am I going to tell these people have sent me? Who are you? Who is God and who am I? We ask those questions in one way or another most of our lives. And the answers are not so uh, unrelated. There is some similarity to our experiences as a human being and how we answer those two questions. First, when we are talking about who we are, who am I? Have you, do you ever wake up in the morning or you've gone through the course of your day and you feel a little out of sorts, just like something is, is missing? And you say to someone that you're working with or someone you're conversing with, just for some reason today, I just don't feel like myself. Right? I don't feel like myself. Or when I'm really comfortable with someone, I can let down my guard. I say, I'm comfortable with you because with you I can be myself. Which begs the question, who am I the rest of the time? Who am I trying to be? What am I trying to present myself as? Why is it difficult for me to be myself around others? Maybe the answer lies in the fact that I really don't know myself. Here is Moses, and let's, re- let's recount a little bit of the story of Moses as you know it. How do we first know Moses? As a baby, okay. What happens to him? He's put in a basket, right? And put, we've, in Sunday school, you learned this. Why was he put in that little basket? Pharaoh was going to kill all of the Hebrew babies. And his mother decided, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my son alive. Puts him in the little basket. Floats him out toward who? Pharaoh's daughter. And what happens when Pharaoh's daughter lays her eyes on this beautiful baby boy? She falls in love with him. She loves him. Oh, he's such a beautiful baby. You know, that's usually a grandparent's kind of thing, you know. Have you seen my granddaughter, by the way? <clears throat> but he gets floated out. Pharaoh's daughter sees this beautiful Hebrew child and decides to take this child home, adopt this child, Moses, and Moses is raised in Pharaoh's house. 
you would think that Moses probably, by the time he's old enough to realize what has happened, the story of his life, he sees himself as somewhat a man of destiny. What happens to him? There's an episode that happens that changes the course of his life. What was it? He kills an Egyptian. Why? This Egyptian was beating up a a Hebrew man and Moses kills him. And in response to that killing, what does Moses do? He runs away. And we find him where our reading picked up this morning. He's out tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro in the land of Midian. Now what do you think all of this does to Moses' self-image? Who am I? He's probably looking back, remembering what life was like in the palace of Pharaoh, remembering how his life had been spared, thinking that he is a man of destiny, and by an act in a moment of rage, he has undermined that destiny, so he thinks. And now he is left to to this menial task of tending the flocks of his father-in-law in a foreign land, the land of Midian. Many times... When we are answering the question about ourselves, who am I? We conjure up our image from major life events. Maybe they're accomplishments. I've graduated from college. I have a PhD. I, I have a great job. And I find my identity in those things. And when those things are gone, the person that is left is not the person I thought myself to be. Some of us draw our self-image from those times and places in our lives where we have failed the greatest. And we think that a single incident or a single uh, episode in our lives defines us forever and I will never be who I thought myself to be or dreamed myself to be. I want you to hold this question for just a moment. We'll come back to it. Where do you draw your identity? From what or where do you find your own identity? Who are you? Moses asks the question when he hears the voice of God instructing him to go back to Egypt, to go to Pharaoh. He hears that God is going to use him to deliver the people of Israel, from their bondage. And Moses asked the question, well, who are you? Who am I going to tell the people has sent me? And God, as God does, because God cannot be defined, doesn't say to Moses, go and tell them, I'm the creator. I am the the God of the universe. I am." He just says, go and tell them, I am who I am. The source of all. Tell them I am has sent you. Now it's not unique to Moses. This struggle of wondering who God is. Identifying God. For God cannot be captured in a phrase or an idea. A concept. 
And so we, we struggle with this as human beings, trying to put the infinite God into some finite form that we can say, I understand God. We cannot. And yet our understanding of God affects dramatically our relationship with God. Moses might have looked at his time tending the flocks of his father-in-law Jethro in the land of Midian as God's punishment for an act in a fit of rage. That I'm getting what I deserve. God is punishing me for my sin. This was not a mindset unique to Moses. Fast forward to our gospel reading for today. And you have Jesus being told about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with, the, with their sacrifices. And Jesus asked them the question, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? And again, referencing the Tower of Siloam that fell and killed 18 people. Do you think that these 18 who were killed were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? He was identifying the mindset that says God punishes us for our sins and because when some calamity befalls us, it's because there is some horrific sin. You remember it was also in the mindset of the Hebrews that if a child was born with some affliction, if a child was born lame or blind, it was punishment on the parents because of their sin. This was the mindset of the people of Israel. And Jesus was saying, no. These Galileans were not worse sinners than any of the others. Those upon whom the calamity, when the Tower of Siloam fell upon those 18 and killed them, they're not any worse offenders than anyone else who lives in Jerusalem. And yet it affected the way that people relate to God. What we find in contrast is that God, back to Moses, describes himself to Moses as one, he says, as it relates to his people in Egypt, I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. I've come to deliver them. I know their suffering. I feel their anguish and I intend to do something about it. Jesus describes in the parable of the fig tree, the gardener looking at this fig tree that has not produced fruit. The the master comes and says, it's not producing fruit. In three years, cut it down. And the gardener says, no, please, give it another year. Be patient. Let me tend to it a little longer. Jesus is depicting God as a patient God who works patiently trying to nurture each and every one of us into the person that was in God's mind when we were created to begin with. Very different images of God, who God is, and how we relate to God. Now think with me, Back to the story of Moses. If you're Moses tending the flocks in the land of Midian, knowing that you've had this experience where you've killed this Egyptian, how are you praying to God? What are your prayers?
Forgive me, okay, maybe. Maybe still some deliverance, right? Help me get out of this. I know, look at this mess I've made. Help me get out of this. Maybe Moses is just thinking, I'm being punished for the wrong that I've done. I'm getting what I deserve. How about if you're one of those Hebrews enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh's thumb? How are you praying? Deliver us. Do something, God. Get us out of this bondage. Deliver us. Set us free. Do you suppose that, fast forward again, now Moses answers the call of God. He comes to the people. He comes to Pharaoh. Do you think the people of Israel are looking at Moses and saying, yes, this is exactly what we prayed for? Probably not. They're probably saying, God, is this the best you've got? You know. <laughs> this isn't what we prayed for. And Moses, when he finally responds, he's probably amazed that God is, is calling him to such a task, given that he's murdered this Egyptian man, killed this Egyptian man. Could it be that in that moment that Moses may have looked at his destiny being being dashed, his hopes being crushed, his identity forever being formed by that incident where he killed the Egyptian. Could it be that in that moment Moses might have seen as failure God saw something else? Think about what that incident might have revealed about Moses' heart. What do you suppose the fact that he killed this Egyptian, what do we find in that story about Moses' heart? Compassion for the people of God. He wanted justice to be done. Was he right in killing the man? Maybe not. But God saw his heart. And ultimately, what God saw of Moses in that moment was a man who was, whose passion to, to, to do good for the people of God. That's who God really called Moses to be. And the irony is, that the person that probably defined Moses in his own mind, the incident that defined Moses in his own mind, was the same incident that defined Moses in God's mind, but they reached different conclusions. I wonder how it would be if we were to look back at those defining moments in our lives, those defining episodes in our lives, that we may look at them as failure and instead look at them, look deeper. What might those incidents reveal to me about my heart that may reflect more of what God has in mind to do with my life? And it's a little comical that the one Moses that God used to set the people of Israel free 
was probably the last person that the people of Israel expected to be used by God to set them free. What do you suppose that time in tending the flocks, what was going on in Moses' mind during that time? What did, pardon? He's doing a lot of thinking. That period reflected upon, that period is a time when God is working, even when God, that working was not obvious. Hear with me again. At the end of God's instruction to Moses, he says to him, here is how you're going to know that, that I am the one who's calling you, that you're the one who should go. He says, this will be a sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This place that you've been stomping around, tending the flocks of your father-in-law Jethro, this is the very place that you're going to lead the people of Israel through. So while Moses thought God had abandoned him, God was really preparing him to be what God intended him to be from the very, very beginning, the deliverer of his people. And Moses, there tending the flocks of his father-in-law, was being shaped by God to be the answer to the prayers that the people of Israel were praying in their bondage in Egypt. Isn't that amazing? If you trust less in who you know yourself to be and more in who God knows you to be, you will find not only the answers to your own prayers, but also that you may in fact be the answer to the prayers of another. May you find in knowing God a deeper understanding of yourself and may that understanding lead you to be used by God to answer the prayers of those in need. Amen.